create meaning in your own job. And it's absolutely possible. And there's lots and lots of people that already do that. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. I have a guest today that's incredible because she is the author of Do Good at Work, founder and president of Vera Works, a firm that's global specializing in workplace purpose. How many of you out there are stuck in stupid jobs or at least you think they're stupid jobs and feel like you have no purpose? We're going to talk about that today. And uh, she can be seen drawing cartoons or trying to surf the waves of San Clement, California. B. Vocalanro, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. Let's dive into some of this stuff because there's been a lot of job place disruption over the past year. And a lot of individuals might be, you know, I remember back, you know, 12 years ago during the huge recession and that huge crash that there were CEOs that were working at Taco Bell, you know, and just it was really disheartening to them because they lost purpose. But there might be people even stuck in jobs that, might have changed a little bit, same job or whatever, but now they feel like it's just stupid after the, after, the, after going through this stuff this past year. You know, what's your take on this whole thing? Where are we at? Shed some light on this for me. Yes, yes. So, you know, you said in your intro, some of you might feel like you're stuck at jobs that don't have purpose or that feel meaningless. Or, And in fact, we know pre-pandemic that the vast majority of Americans are there. And in fact, the vast majority of global workers find themselves in that unfortunate place where they end their work week and they're like, hmm, did that do anything for anybody? And unfortunately, most people answer, I don't think so. What's interesting is that, so, you know, 2020 just, I mean, it just shattered our hearts, right? It was, it was just a very heartbreaking year. Um, there's research done by the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen that says 2020 brought so much unhappiness that it would be the equivalent of all, you know, seven plus billion inhabitants of the planet going through a divorce at the same time. Like, that is how heartbreaking it was but uh and and you know that's just a tragedy and that's just you know there's nothing really positive about that nevertheless one of the things that has happened in 2020 i mean i've been doing this for 20 years is that individuals that you know weeks before were if not happy at least numbingly going through their day-to-day tasks call me. So I have a friend, I've known her since high school. Um, I'm going to call her Cindy. <laughs> um, let's call her and, Cindy. Let's call her Cindy. Yes. Okay. She knows what I do. She knows I bring purpose to people's jobs, which means make a positive contribution. You're all about that, Rick. So you totally get it. And she's known this for a very long time. Uh, she's in marketing, has never shown any interest in anything I, re- I do. Uh, but in May of 2020, she called me and she said, Hey, I need your help. I would like to do an ad, uh, you know, like a, uh, social marketing ad to have people feel proud that they're staying at home, that they're heroes for doing that and, you know, clean up some of the misinformation. So it was a complete, she wasn't going to get paid for this. It was complete sort of 
you know, twist towards the positive of her everyday job. She had the resources to do it. But my point is, if 2020 did this to Cindy, it means it, it probably got to everybody. Because this was someone who was not at all uh, oriented towards contribution to others. And what's interesting is that she read my book and she participated in the very first book club that I did and was one of the most active participants. So it wasn't just this flash that happened in May. It really was this awakening of, huh, you know, maybe there's more important things to be doing through work than what I'm doing now. And, you know, the good news is you don't have, like her examples is actually a good one because you don't have to leave the job that you have to do this. That's actually the whole point of my, of my book. So if, if someone listening is going, oh my God, that kind of happened to me, but I don't know what to do. Cause the, like, what am I, I'm, I'm not going to go back and like become a doctor or a nurse or a teacher. And, uh, a, and the, the job market's not very strong anyway. So I don't really want to leave my job to find one that, that gives me more meaning. And my response to that would be, create meaning in your own job and it's absolutely possible and there's lots and lots of people that already do that that's awesome i i believe that for the most part too that you can find your purpose and really meaning almost in any situation that you're in you know and, and i say almost because there are i'm also a big advocate this is on the other side too of changing your environment in order to more so align with your true self which i think is possible but there can be a process sometimes too you know, in getting to that point to where you feel like, okay, it's time to do that. And one of the biggest grips I know that is just sometimes even strangulating for a lot of people is money. So if they're in that position to where it's like, oh, I, I don't, I can't go out and try to find a new job because this is what's providing my sole, sole source of revenue or income for food on my table to buy my kids clothes. You know, and the job market is just horrible right now because of post-pandemic recession, all of this. It can be a bit daunting. You know, so when you say find purpose where you're at right now in your current job, well, how does someone start to go about that? Yeah, so it's a lot simpler than one would imagine, which doesn't mean it's easy. So I love that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's not complex, so, <laughs> but it takes work. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's... It, and so I'll give you an example. So uh, let's say you design surfboard fins and you're like, okay, you know, it's not, a, you know, it's kind of, it's a job and, uh, and, you know, maybe it's a fun job because you're designing something that people have fun on. And so, you know, there's, there's some inherent purpose in that, but what if you go, wow, you know, I'm really concerned about the oceans. I'm a surfer. It's like, it, you know, we, we have this, climate crisis going on and it's like i wonder if i can do something about it well what if i put sensors in the fins and these sensors sent information to scientists to help mitigate climate change so that that designer took their job and turned it towards something positive and that's a real case by the way there's over 100 100 examples in in the book um, that's just one case. Or let's say that you um, let's say that you work at a parking lot and and you're well, like 
okay, I'm like flagging cars in and like charging them. Like, you know, how do I turn that into a purposeful job? Well, there's someone, his name is Leroy. Actually, he's no longer there because he got promoted, which is what tends to happen when people start doing this. But he got promoted and then he got offered a better job. So he's no longer doing this. But what he was doing a few years ago was he said, you know, I noticed that a lot of the tires are bald. And that's incredibly dangerous. I know that that's one of the contributors to highway crashes and fatalities. And I can do something about that because all I have to do is measure the tires. It takes him a few seconds. And then he just alerts, kindly alerts owners that, hey, did you know your, you know, your back passenger tires is a little bald? And he says he's gotten hugs from single mothers that are like, oh, my God, I have a three-year-old and I can't believe I was like risking his life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So you can really almost with any level of authority you have, there are ways to twist what you're doing or do something a little bit more or even just do it differently. Let's say that you, you're you buying supplies or something. It's like, well, maybe you decide, well, hmm, maybe there's a way for me to buy these supplies from a Black-owned business or from a company that is environment, you know, that performs very well on, on the environmental scale so that these supplies aren't putting plastic in the oceans or aren't increasing the carbon footprint. So, and that's because it's something that resonates with you personally. That, right? yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the cool thing is that the ideas you come up with are going to resonate with you. That's why you came up with the idea. So the, you know, the, 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 the surfboard fins, he really cares about the oceans and, uh, you know, Leroy, he, he's, he's actually like, you know, he's really into like car racing and stuff. So he knows this stuff and he knows how dangerous cars can be. So I think, I mean, the beauty of kind of do it yourself purpose at work is that by definition, what you come up with is going to be meaningful for you. Cause that's what you see. That's your lens. Yeah. Here's a, here's a question for you. So there's a definition that I have, right? I think this is your definition. Making adjustments to the work week to make meaningful contributions to others for a societal cause. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Yep. Yeah. That, so that, that's... Go ahead. What, what What's the definition? Or what, what's the de Yeah, so that's the definition of social purpose. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty standard one. You know, psychologists use it. And so it, you know, yeah. And if you're doing that at work, if you're making a contribution, a meaningful contribution to others or to a societal cause, you're doing what I've dubbed job purposing. Like you, you've purposed your job. I like that. So let's look at from the devil's advocate side here, because I remember when you, we were just talking about a little bit before how you said it's simple, but you know, it takes effort. And I'm like, you know, you have to put in work, even though it's not complex for something like this. So how is that from like a mental bandwidth perspective? Because these individuals now, right? You know, where's that threshold? Because a lot of these individuals already feel just stressed, emotionally stressed because of where they're working. And now it's like, oh my God, there's even more work I have to do to find a purpose. You know, it, it, where's that to where it, would that contribute to burnout or is there a way to over you know, just simplify this so that it doesn't contribute? Where's that crossing over point in your mind to say, okay, this is something I should put effort in towards because it's good for me. Yes. I, and I love that question. So 
uh, when I do keynotes uh, in person, but now I've done them on webinars too, I, I often start off by asking people, here's what you're going to do over the next five minutes. You're going to make a contribution to someone or to a societal cause. You know, I usually have slides. So I put up on the slide some ideas. You can go into LinkedIn and give someone a positive recommendation. You can send a text to someone who works for you. Just, you know, you can do just something kind. You can't spend more than five, $5. So you can't spend more than five minutes or $5. And what I do is before I ask them on a scale of one to 10, how stressed are you? And then I asked them the same question afterwards. And then I asked them, if your stress went up, stand up. And now if there's, if there's more than like a hundred people, uh, like a room of like 500 or a thousand will have a handful of people stand up. So really less than 1% will stand up. So their stress went up if they did this positive thing. It, you know, just got outside of whatever their own issues or goals or objectives or self-serving, and they did something. Uh, so then I ask if your stress stayed the same, go ahead and stand up. And between 20 and 40% of the room, stand up. And then I ask if your stress went down, go ahead and stand up. And now this is between 60 and 80%. Now stand up. And... This happens every time. The, the only reason I had the guts to try it the first time is because <laughs> scientists have proven this over and over again. So I was like, I'm going to try this and see if it works. Um, <laughs> so you didn't just go into it blind. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, oh, God. Not that what I if haven't this backfires? Tried... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, not that that hasn't happened to me. It has. Oh, yeah. But... Anybody who's ever spoken on stage has had something <laughs> well, backfire on them. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for saying that. I feel um, you. <laughs> Yeah. So, and in fact, scientists have found they have put people in MRIs and then compared people who are doing something for someone else, you know, society, social purpose versus someone who's just doing something fun and, you know, like listening to a song or something. And they know that the, that the stress response in the brain when they like, like prick their finger or something is higher in the individuals who aren't doing something that's social purpose. So this sounds completely counterintuitive because really because we've been we've been kind of duped into a mythology around what serves us best. But it sounds counterintuitive, but when we as part of our jobs do something transcendent, you know, that that would be what uh, Victor Frankl would call it, like think about others or a societal cause. Not only does our stress goes go down, but our our anxiety goes down. We are we're happier. We're less likely to have cardiovascular disease. We are twenty four percent less likely to die in any given year. That's how much healthier we are because we are wired for this. We are we we are. First and foremost, tribe members. You know, that's when we were in the African savanna, we couldn't survive alone. That you know, we're not polar bears. We can't. You know, we're pathetic as humans alone in the wild. So, so we are so hardwired for contribution that it actually makes us healthier and happier. And in fact, when they look at studies of burnout 
And specifically, there's one type of burnout that comes from, uh, you know, from taking on too many problems. It's called compassion fatigue. When they look at studies of compassion fatigue, what they find is that it hap it occurs not because we are taking on the problems of others or trying to contribute to others, like, but it occurs because we know the problems are there and we do not, we can't do anything about it. So it's actually worse if you're at a job and you see like, for example, you know, let's say you work at a grocery store and you see a single mother like struggling with their toddler or something. And you're like, Oh my God, it's not part of my job. And plus I, my heart can't take this. I just, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to witness this. I'm just going to go in the back room and ignore it. That's more likely to cause burnout than actually if you're like, uh, I can take 20 seconds and help this woman out. And like, and she might start crying and you know, who knows, like it, you might be, you might be exposing yourself to the suffering of someone else, but that is not what causes burnout. What causes burnout is to not be able to do anything about it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, it's kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah. Let's clarify. You say what causes burnout is to not be able to do anything about it. So are you talking the, that it's, you're in a scenario to where you don't have any action to take, or are you talking where you're choosing not to take action? Um, you have to be aware that, that you have to be aware of the suffering, but like, who is it? <laughs> right. So it's really almost always the second, you know what I'm saying? Choosing like, not to take the action. Yeah. yeah. And even you're if avoiding. we're not cognitively aware, yeah. like we, we could like show up at a meeting and it's like, someone is like not talkative and they seem, you know, they seem down. We're picking that up. And when you know, if not consciously, subconsciously, and if we're not doing anything about it, that kind of weighs on us. Yeah, for sure. Well, a coach of mine always tells me, you know, it's, it takes way more effort to not be yourself <laughs> the, the way that you're wired than it does to actually just let yourself run free uh, and let yourself do it how we're made for sure. You know, we're talking about, you know, societal purpose and job purpose. What about managers in it? You know, is it, can this apply to where you can give the team that kind of purpose also? Absolutely. So, you know, that's my day job. That's what I've done over the last 20 years. You know, I work with just big Fortune 500 companies, you know, Disney, FedEx, PwC, uh, Toyota. And that's what I do. I help them bring purpose to their own employees, essentially. Uh, so absolutely. Uh, the reason I wrote the book was because I can only get to so many companies and there are only so many companies that are willing to, to, to take this on for their employees. So the book is actually meant to get to someone who, regardless of whether your company is going to help you with this or not, you can actually do it on your own. Having said that, there is a, a section in the book that is for managers so that it kind of goes through the steps of doing, doing it. If you're a manager, you know, any from a line supervisor all the way to, you know, a CEO, those principles work. Oh, that's cool. Now, when it comes to the, the purpose of that group, is it collaborative how you come up with that? Or is it the manager that dictates what the purpose is? Oh, that's a good question. 
Um, it could be either way, frankly. <laughs> I'm sure everybody hears that. It's like collaborative is better. It is better, but what's amazing is that, again, we're so hardwired for social purpose that even when it's dictated, it actually almost always works beautifully. <laughs> Unless, great. I mean, as long as it's authentic, as sure, long as it's sure. authentic. If it's inauthentic, if, if like you feel like you're being manipulated into it so that the manager looks good, but like if you, this happens all the time because here's how it happens. Um, someone founds a company and then uh, they really care about something because, you know, their, their mother got Alzheimer's. And so that's what they really care about. So as a company, they donate to that cause. They, they, you know, they, they sign up for walks, raising money for that cause. They educate all employees on it. That's actually pretty shoved down employees' throats in a sense. But because it's such a, it's such a genuine, beautiful response, uh, it, it creates what, social scientists call elevation, which is like a really good feeling in employees, like witnessing that someone cares and that they're trying to involve you. So even that works, like it's not that terrible to have it come from above, but it is better for it to be collaborative because, um, and that's actually, so I have eight drivers of success for job purposing in the book. And uh, one of them is that it's employee crafted uh, so social scientists know that if we play a role in the decision-making or in making something, we're more attached to it. We value it more. They call it the Ikea effect. So, cause they, you know, they've literally checked to see like if, if you buy at Ikea and you make the bed versus you buy at Ikea and you hire them to make the bed for you, um, even if the price is exactly the same, you feel if you make the bed yourself, you think that bed is like so much more valuable. <laughs> You're so much more attached to it, even if it's a complete pain in the neck to do, right? So, so because that's of the kind of how I feel, effect, I'd rather pay somebody to assemble that, especially if it's Ikea furniture, because that sucks to put together. <laughs> yeah, but see, you would like your bed more if you went through all the trouble of like, I can't get the screw in. And <laughs> this is the, there's one missing, you know. I don't know. <laughs> so I, might, I might come to that burnout phase if I put together too much <laughs> Ikea furniture. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah, i hear you that's great i hear you yeah there's so many things in the furniture i'm gonna i can chase this squirrel forever so i'm just gonna get off this right now <laughs> the furniture. oh my gosh yes that's what i love pre-assembled things you know that that's my favorite and then you know the stuff comes delivered just ready to roll that's the best ever but still i understand what you're saying because there's a certain satisfaction in being able to build and craft something you know so if there was any other example besides Ikea, I would have been like, yes, amen. Be, you know, <laughs> well, what's funny is like, I hate cooking. So when I read that study, you know, cause it's, uh, it, I was like, and I was like, but this doesn't apply to my cooking. I actually, it tastes delicious to me when other people cook. So I don't know, it might not apply. I'd rather have other people cook and eat than, than than me cook and eat. And I'm pretty sure it tastes just fine when other people yeah, cook. There so you go. I, I don't know. Maybe you they need to check that. You feel me now in your that. core. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like so Kia. I understand where you're coming from. Ikea right? for me, it's cooking for you. There we go. That's great. Exactly. <laughs> I understand. That's that's hilarious. <laughs> Tell me about VeraWorks. 
Yeah, so VeraWorks basically helps apply these principles in in companies. So like I mentioned the whole bunch of brands that I've helped with that. Uh, and so we, uh, it's very in right now. <laughs> so we work with companies globally. And if, if you want employees to, you know, have a bounce in their step because they feel like they have a sense of purpose and that the company stands for more than just making a profit for those who are lucky enough to own stock in it. Um, then I can, you know, I, I can help a company do that. That's cool. When you say that it's very in right now, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, that same, uh, that same experience that Cindy had where in 2020, she's like, Oh my God, there could be so much more to my job. And I kind of would really want there to be more. It's happening at the C-suite. So, uh, I, I mean, I've heard just three weeks ago, I heard, you know, a CEO say, I just realized I, you know, I don't know how much longer I'll have this job. It'll probably just be five or six years is my guess. And I just realized I, I might just, the world might just be the same. Like when I came in and when I went out and he's very successful, the company's doing quite well, even just even through 2020, but the success is it's, you know, it's all financial and, uh, you know, growth and those sorts of things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There isn't those, those are great goals, but if that's all we're striving for, if we don't have some loftier, more kind of emotional, uh, direction to go to in life, then it's incredibly hard to be satisfied. For sure. And I, I know when you, what you meant by it's in, it, I see it happening too, and especially coming out of last year, there's a lot more budget, especially in the fortune companies that they're putting towards health and wellness programs. Uh, because it, there's a shift in culture right now, you know, and if it was a pandemic that sparked that, but it, it was interesting to me too, because going into last year, it was like the focus a lot. And this is not by, I mean, I can make political statements I've been known to, but this is not that at all. It was just more of like common sense thinking to me of, you know, there's so much focus on the vaccines and all this other stuff, but there was zero focus when I saw studies like the University of New York, how they said that outside of age, which was the first determining factor for mortality, it was obesity. That was the second biggest determining factor. And you look across the, the United States and it's like, why are we not putting more effort and dollars into educating people the right way and into health and wellness? So from a government perspective, you don't necessarily see that happening, but from a corporation perspective, it's encouraging to see that these dollars are being spent in these areas that you are are an expert in. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really heartened by that as well. And you know, the reason I do you know, the reason I try to use companies as a lever for good, you know, which is my day job, you could just you know, sum it up like that is because uh it's a really strong lever. So the the overwhelming proportion of the economy is the private sector. So you can put all of the uh, government sector. I mean, we think we have big government, but you can put federal, state, local, municipal, all government together, then throw in the entire nonprofit sector. And the corporate sector is three, still three to four times bigger. Like, I mean, it depends what measure you look like, whether it's number of employees or whether it's assets or whether it's revenue or income, but 
GDP. But um, so it's, you know, if if the corporate sector does a has a reasonably positive response to something, it can move the needle, you know, and and I'm I am encouraged at how much more of that is happening in 2020 uh, since 2020 or you know what I mean, <laughs> the pandemic era. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For sure. But, yeah. Coming out but of that, too, you're right. I can see that moving the needle. I mean, if that's the type of government that we have, which is a democratic republic, you know, to where there's representatives that act on our behalf and they see that trends are going a certain direction, it behooves them to try to stay in office to jump on that bandwagon, too. I I'm hoping at some point that there's health and wellness programs that come from a federal level, at least some kind of framework or incentives to, to where it comes to corporations to provide these kinds of things. I mean, there's even it's even out of the box things, you know, it's like gym memberships covering those, you know, that's something that's been around forever in a lot of places. But what, what about all the other things, you know, like some kind of nutrition education, you know, for that, or so, especially what you do, bringing someone in so that imagine the productivity increase. You know, I'm sure you see this all the time from when you consult with these firms. So where it's now all of a sudden they're producing four, five, 20, 100 X what they were, because now they feel like they have purpose into what they're doing. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because there is one study that it was like 181% higher yeah. productivity. <laughs> and in fact, the researcher, Adam Grant, he didn't, he, he didn't believe the results because they were so over the top. Uh, but then, you know, he replicated it and, you know, over and over again. And he's like, wow, I guess that's what it is. And I like what you're saying, because, you know, when we think of, Okay, so we're all messed up around the concept of purpose. And so when we think of like, my job has no purpose, we tend to think like, well, okay, because it's not saving lives or, you know, it's not teaching children or something. Uh, but really, if we can find a way through our jobs that we just kind of, we help our coworkers, our colleagues, or even support our customers better, that is social purpose. Like, that also counts. And there's, like you mentioned, there's, there's a lot to do there because th there are a lot of contributions that could make a big difference. To like working a double shift at a toilet paper factory to put those plies together. How many fights were saved <laughs> in the grocery store aisle once they were restocked? Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. And calamities at yes. home, right? <laughs> that you don't want to have that calamity. But you know, one of the examples in the book is, uh, it's a it's a, a woman who's a triathlete and she found her job really boring and um and she she she's very much into health so she's like the person who's like grinding up you know like eggshells in the morning because like to like try it out if putting it in the coffee is is you know it's going to give her more energy when she runs a marathon like she's she's always like learning about health and reads all the books and stuff and she just and and she's very fit. And so like all these other people in the office were like, how do you do it? And how come you, how do you manage to not eat fast food? So she realized I can help them. So she just started this Monday blog. You know, it was like an email list essentially to a few people. Like, here's a tip for this week. Like just, you know, exchange your sugary beverage for water for one week. And you, you can make it bubbly water if you want. And you know, and, and, and so then she got more and more and more followers. And then, 
at some point, the HR department was like, actually, we really like what you're doing. Can we turn it not, you know, not like an email list, but like actually post it on the internet? And then can you do like lunch things? And she says, my job went from just feeling dull to like, I'm, I'm excited about going into work during the week. And this is a relatively answer, ancillary thing to her job. Her job, you know, has to do with construction. It's like, it's, but it's enough to kind of shift her view of, of the job. But, you know, she saw some of those needs that you're talking about in people that worked with her. That's great. And she was able to find purpose in that too. That, that's, that's cool. That's awesome to be able to make that shift. Here's something, because it, you know, if you call Wednesday hump day, right, and nobody likes Mondays, I'm just throwing a bunch of cliches out there, because I think they're stupid, and to me, it's like Sunday is like another day of the week, you know, you can, you can rest any day, you can work any day, as long as you've got the right amounts of everything that work right for you, you know, and I realize that's very different for each person, you know, and my purpose is different than somebody else's purpose, you know, so, but for the, majority of people that will work like that nine to five Monday through Friday job, right? Or that five days a week, whatever it is, you know, how do you, what tips do you have to really end your work week proud, you know, and it, to help to, to start make that shift to say, wow, I feel like I had purpose. this week." Yeah. So, you know, remember I said it was simple, right? So all the examples I've given are like relatively simple things. So, you know, helping your health, your, your coworkers with their health, giving them a tip and, you know, kind of coaching them, um, you know, changing the, you know, putting a, a sensor in a fin. Uh, I can't remember what other examples I've given, but they're, they're all pretty simple. But one of the problems is that we, so, you know, we have a certain lens for the way we look at the world and the lens that we use at work is really narrow. <laughs> it's just like, okay, I need to do this, 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 and ask this person this and send this in. And so that lens usually does not see what the triathlete saw. Like, oh, actually, I have something that I'm happy to share with people that could be helpful. Um, she's, she's unusual for having noticed. And frankly, she probably noticed because people were asking her. But, um, and, so if we're focused on one thing, we don't see the things around it. There's a really famous um, experiment with, uh, they had people look at a video of people clad in black and people clad in white passing a basketball around. And then they asked, it's, you can look it up. Um, it's like gorilla, uh, you put inattentional blindness, gorilla, it comes up on, 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 but, and what they, so they told viewers, they're like, count the number of times that the people in white pass the basketball. And so that's what people were doing, except that it's only 40 seconds or something, the whole, the whole video. At some point during the video, this woman clad in a full gorilla outfit prances onto the center court, pounds her chest a few times and prances off to the other side and, and then they asked these, they asked the viewers, uh, you know, what'd you think of the gorilla? And about half, half of us miss it. We're like, what gorilla? You know, th there was no, like, what gorilla? So, 
so it's called inattentional blindness. So going back to work, we're going in there and we're looking at, you know, like, you know, the agenda items and who we need to invite and what we need to send or, you know, what shelves we need to stock or boxes we need to move. We like, you know, that's what we're looking at. We're not, we're not looking for opportunities to make a contribution. So there's a very long way of saying that if you just on Wednesday or Thursday set aside, it can even be 15 minutes if that's all you can do. Just put it in, in, in your calendar every week. Uh, 15 minutes, half an hour is better. And you just put, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. This is my job purposing um, idea generation. And you just, you just spend those 15 minutes or half an hour asking yourself a few questions. Like the last person I interacted with through work, how were, how were they doing? You know, did I even ask? Um, is there a way to do whatever I was doing right before this? in a way that's like more environmentally sustainable, that's more inclusive. So you might go like, oh yeah, actually I, I just ran a meeting and I realized actually the women didn't talk in the meeting. I, next time I'll make sure that I ask for their input. So you get, so what that, what that 15 minutes or half an hour does is that it shifts your focus um, to the gorilla <laughs> essentially oh, to oh. what you, yeah. And, and then, um, You'll see that, you know, you can do it on Wednesday or Thursday. You have like a, you know, one or, you know, one to three days, I guess, to then implement it. And you will sit down for dinner on Friday, implement whatever idea you came up with, right? Um, you will sit down for dinner on Friday and it will, it will feel much better. Your work week will feel like it was a different, like a, like a different job almost. Wow. That's, that's fantastic, B. Thank you. So everyone can find your book on Amazon, right? Yeah, anywhere yeah. books are sold Beautiful. pretty much. Yeah. Do Good at Work yeah. is B Good, B's book. And you can connect with B at bbocalandro.com. I'm going to spell that. It'll be in the show notes too, but B-E-A. Well, go ahead. Let me give you an easier URL, which kind of goes. <laughs> yeah, you can go to dogoodatwork.com. Com. That so, I can all spell. Together. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I, I couldn't do that to you guys. Like insist on the <laughs> that URL. So do good at work. Do good at work. Com. B, thank you for being on today, and thank you for giving us all some tips on how to find purpose. It's so important coming out of this year. You're amazing. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Keep up the good work. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me. 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.